0: I'm Brock Gordon, and I'm an art teacher at Fusion Academy, and I work with a group of fantastic teachers. This summer, I'm catching up with them on their ideas on education. This is Summer League. today is Shamira Williams. She's a math and science teacher here at Fusion Academy in the Woodlands. We're gonna get to know her a little bit in part one and in part two she's gonna talk to us about raising and teaching millennial teenagers. So I've got Shamira Williams here today and she's one of our newest members at Fusion. She is a math teacher but also sciences mm-hmm. math is okay right. so what all are you teaching right now sweet baby Jesus I'm teaching
1: <laughs> pre-algebra middle school math algebra one algebra two pre-calculus forensic science anatomy chemistry I think that's all
0: oh my gosh <laughs> oh, of, and drums <laughs> and drums so over we run year-round mm-hmm. and um summer is generally uh, a little slower for us, but not for you. No. And I was just looking at your schedule yesterday, and it is just jam-packed with kids. (laughs) So um, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me today. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about just your history, where you're from, Mm -hmm. um, and how you got to Fusion Academy.
1: Okay, I am originally from South Houston, South Park, Sunnyside, Wood. Okay, Um, that's that's where I'm from. But um, when I was a little girl, we moved south of Houston to Brazoria County. So I grew up in Brazoria County. I went to Brazoswood High School and um, I ended up getting married very young. So I stayed down there. My parents and my little brother moved to California. So that's, like, south of Houston? Mm-hmm. Is that right? okay. About an hour south of Houston. Okay, cool. Yes. In the nowhere land. Yeah. So ended up in Houston after getting divorced and everything and went back to school. I actually went back to school for music. Okay. So my degree is in music. Um, I ended up teaching math because, you know, music and math is kind of the same. Mm -hmm. If you're a musician, you know that. (laughs) Well,
0: that's what music theory is. Yes, it's math, math. intervals and
1: such. So I ended up subbing at my daughter's high school, and I connected with the children. It wasn't the adults. It was the kids. So I ended up uh, completely changing my career to teaching. But I never wanted to teach music. I just like to perform music. So I ended up um, getting my uh, teaching certificate I was at that school for about six years, and uh, just public school is just, it's not a great thing for teachers, in my opinion. Um, Ended up trying to figure out what I wanted to do. My dad was like, don't give up teaching. You're good at it. I was like, yeah. (laughs) So I ended up going on Indeed.com. I was just looking for like, maybe like... um, like a tutoring or something, and I put my resume on there. And I don't know if they found me, I found them, or we kind of found each other kind of thing, and ended up at Fusion. I thought when I got here, I thought it was a tutoring position. I was wrong. Uh (laughs) When Jordan called me, um, and I came in and interviewed and got hired. And I remember
0: remember. that. Yeah. It was recent.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs)
2: Yesterday.
0: (laughs) So, you're, I, I like that you said that your dad was kind of pushing you mm-hmm. to not drop the teaching part yeah. of what you were doing. And I was listening to this interview the other day with this guy, Ron Clark. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of him? Yeah. In Atlanta. And he, was, he started this school in Atlanta that is um, just an interesting school. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was talking about before he became a teacher, he was working at Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> and he was saving up money, he was trying to travel the world, and he ended up in London, and he got bad food poisoning and had to come back oh. to North Carolina, and um, basically just didn't know, he just said he was gonna work at Dunkin' Donuts for the rest <laughs> of his life, and his mother said, you're gonna go to the school and talk to the principal or I'm not gonna support you in anything that you do. And sometimes parents know something about what their kids should be doing before you'd know it. And I mean, you're also a parent, so maybe you can speak to knowing things that your children don't know. To talk more about your dad.
1: My daddy has always been a key figure in my life. He is like the most honest person in the century of the world, of the history of the universe. (laughs) Basically, my dad has always been the, um, I have a a sister and two brothers, but but us girls, he always told us that he wanted us to be able to take care of ourselves outside of a man. Meaning, if we get married, God forbid something was to happen to our husbands, we can still take care of ourselves. Not, you don't need a man, not like that. That's stupid. I left my man. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so my dad was always our biggest, like, not that my mom wasn't, but my daddy was really like, really big on doing what you love and getting paid for it. So what my dad noticed about, and he lives in California, so we talk mostly via telephone. He knew the joy that I had with the children, but he also knew the hatred I had for <laughs> the bureaucracy, the politics, the grown, the adult crap of teaching in public school. He knew how much I hated that, but I love the kids. And it's almost when you're a teacher, you're a parent to them, you're a teacher to them, you're a counselor to them, you Band-Aids, doctor, you know, you're kind of everything to them. And that is something I love. My kids graduate, they still contact me and you know, we still have relationships. And my dad knew how important that was to me and to those children. He told me, I am doing a disservice to these children if I don't do this again, which totally just pierced my heart. I like, now the kids. So <laughs> so I'm so glad, so glad that I came back to teaching. And what I noticed, difference, you know, there's, you know, demographical differences in um, private and public school. But children are children. It doesn't matter where they come from. They're children. They all need the same thing.
0: How about before? When was the first time that you um, really thought that you were going to be a teacher? And did you have anybody in your life that was really like a really powerful teacher or a teacher that you just said, I could see myself being like this person? Mm -hmm. Who was that?
1: Miss Tipton.
0: (laughs) Tell me about Miss Tipton. Miss
1: Tipton was my seventh grade and 11th grade. She was my seventh grade Uh, Algebra teacher, and she ended up going to high school. And so I had her in 11th grade for calculus as well. She was at first. I hated, I hated math. Well, I didn't hate it. I was good at it, but I didn't, I never, it wasn't like a joy Mm -hmm. until I met Miss Tipton and Miss Tipton made math fun. And so I kind of almost patterned my teaching after hers because I remember every period that I had her, it was like I was like, yes, I got to be on time. It's Miss Timson's class, you know? And and so I kind of wanted to be that teacher to to my students.
0: Well, what, what was it about her? Was it a respect thing where you just didn't want to disrespect her? Was uh just you just fell in love with the way that she taught? What was, do you think?
1: It was kind of a little bit of both um, to me. When a teacher gets to know you as a person, not just a student, um, you want to do everything to respect them, to mm. make them happy. Because the happier they are, the happier you are. I mean, happy. It's like happy, happy wife, a happy life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: okay. Happy teacher, happy, happy semester. Know. You know.
1: So she made everything so like easy and so much fun. And you know, I, I just I wanted to please her. I wanted to go to her class. So the respect thing was automatic because I knew she respected me. She respected me as Shamira, not as my student number five, three, seven, four. You know what I'm saying? Like she got to know us as people. And for me as a teacher, I patterned myself after that. I like get to know my kids. Like my first session with all of my kids is, I'll get to know them. You know, yeah. we might learn a little bit at the end, but at first, how am I teaching you? And I don't even know who you are, what your learning style is, anything. So I let them lead me,
0: mm-hmm. and it's working. That's just, that's something that's really nice about this place mm-hmm. is that it's one to one, and you can't hide behind no. anything, no, no. <laughs> and you can't really just jump into teaching yeah. anything either. Yeah. You have to really spend the first day getting to yeah. know them mm-hmm. and their behavior, because oh. you're yeah. <laughs> not, you know, you're not gonna. And be successful with every teaching style. Yes. just You have to find the her.
1: teaching style of that, of that kid. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did you ever have any teachers, and maybe this teacher that you're talking about, talk about bigger life stuff with you and the whole class? And I'm thinking back to, like, I had a teacher, my Spanish teacher in mm-hmm. high school at Northeast Guilford High in McLeansville, North Carolina. Whoa. Right across the street from the tobacco field. <laughs> my Spanish teacher <clears> would talk to us about just bigger picture stuff. And she, you know, it didn't matter. Like, we had a Spanish lesson yeah. and she, you know, was a great Spanish teacher. Yeah. But come in and give an anecdote about her life or something that happened to her. Yeah, And just say, you know, we need to talk about respect and we need to talk about treating people right. And, yeah. you know. She was okay. like
1: that. And the, the principal, those was the principal there, Mr. Boone. And he was like that with me also he would if I was you know misbehaving if you will he would bring me into the office I remember this one time he brought me into the office he shut the door he said Shamar do I need to call your daddy I said (laughs) because him and my dad were were pretty close I said no sir he sat there and he talked to me about more than just what I had done He talked to me about my future and how if I continued the behavior, how it would affect my future, you know? He was one of those, and usually your principal, you don't ever want to talk to them, okay? Mm -hmm. But I I, I would go to his office just to sit with him. So he and Ms. Tipton really, really made an impact on my life as a teacher and as a person, actually,
0: yeah. What differences do you notice about when you were in school and the way you teach now?
1: I think that one of the, the kids now are different. We were taught, you know, I grew up in a long time ago because I'm older. <laughs> so um, we were taught they are if they're an adult, you respect them. Regardless, if they're wrong, you respect them. Mm-hmm. If there's an issue with an adult, you tell your parents and they deal with the adult. Children do not deal with adults. You respect them simply because they're grown. That's what we were taught. Okay, so there was never a disrespect to teachers. Children, now, I'll respect you if you earn my respect. What? Very different. Very different. Very, very different. And so you find yourself, you know, you can't just go in and demand with Mm -hmm. these kids. Okay, this is what you're going to do. Because they're going to say, why? (laughs) I don't want to. So you have to approach it differently. I think that relationship then... Was important, but it's much more important now, because if these kids don't feel like they're respected, this is millennials period, if they don't feel like they're respected. If they don't feel like uh, they matter, they're not doing crap for you. Period. Okay. <laughs> you can yell. You can scream. You can call mom. Doesn't matter, because they're doing the same thing at home.
0: Okay. All right. They're gonna look for an out. Yes in any activity, so as a teacher you're kind I always thought as an art teacher that art is fun I'm gonna propose I think about these projects and I'm gonna propose a project and we're gonna have a great time and then we get into class and they're kind of like looking at the project (laughs) and deciding whether or not they think it's something that they want to do and I would never as a student I would never I would I would just take it
1: and do
0: it even And do I like, hey this sounds dumb I'm going to do it <laughs> um, but yeah that's the kind of mentality you're not just on this place up here mm-hmm. and they're down here mm-hmm. they see themselves as equals, equals yes. and they are going you know, to fight
2: yeah
1: <laughs> actually a couple of my kids here um, who you know have had some struggles with other teachers but I don't have struggles with them I, you know, pick their brains and try to figure out, you know, why. Mm-hmm. I pick their brains without them knowing they I'm picking their right. brains, <laughs> you know. So I actually had a, a conversation with a student yesterday. <clears throat> and I made the statement. I said, you know, I really like you. And I see that we're a lot alike. And then he opened up immediately. He said, you know, he said, I, do, I, I like you too. He said, the thing is, if a teacher is aggressive with me, the natural human response is for me to be aggressive back. I was like... That makes total sense of why these kids are like this. Right, they feel like they're your equal. So if you do something, I'm going to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. And as soon as you kind of level with them, and it's not the same as being their friend, yes, by any yes, means, yes,
1: yes, not not at all.
0: It's just leveling with them and saying, "Hey, uh, I noticed this about you. Mm-hmm. I'm kind. Of, I think this way yeah. it could be the same. It could be different. Yeah. You know. I guess validating yeah. them yes. in some way,
1: feelings their you know, their desires, their wants, their needs. They just want to feel validated.
0: Mm-hmm. What is your favorite assignment or project or thing to do with a student that really exciting for them or for you?
1: That's hard. I don't know. I try to make every, seriously, no joke, bro. I try to make every single time they come in exciting. I don't care what I'm teaching. It can be the most boring thing in the world. I'm gonna figure out a way to make them wanna do it. You know, I don't have like a, now I have a favorite thing that I like to do, which is (laughs) dividing polynomials. Nobody else thinks it's fine, but I do
0: (laughs) but. I mean, it sounds like a ball.
1: (laughs) Um, But, you know, I try to, I don't have like a, a favorite thing to do. I try to make everything a favorite thing to do.
0: So it's not about the content. No. It's you. Yeah. and the way that you approach them and yes. kind of present the stuff. Um, that's cool. thats a, I think that's a really admirable thing in a teacher. You're not just jazzed about the content. Yeah. What kind of compromises have you had to make as a person to be a teacher? And I'll give you a, a kind of example okay. for people like friends of mine who are all artists, once you find a full-time job teaching, it kind of, it takes out all of your work time that you would normally be working and creating art, yeah. and your focus is on teaching yeah. children.
2: Yeah.
0: You have to try to put those two parts of your personality back together yeah. every once in a while. Yeah. Um, what's that like for you? Have you had to compromise your own? Yes. P- I am um, a singer. I'm a
1: vocal performer, word. Um, And prior to teaching, I was singing places, recording, and I have much less time to write, much less time to um, be creative in that aspect. It's a form of artistry as well. Um, and so I'm having to figure out a balance there for myself, Um, because to take away an art form that you love is to take away your breath. And I have to figure out a balance. Um, I cannot make the children my whole world. I'm actually reading this book now. It's called Boundaries. And it's knowing when to say no and when to say yes and being okay with no. And what I'm learning... Not learned, but learning is when I go home, home is for me, not for fusion. I love my fusion family, but home is for me and my family, but mostly me. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's my I think that's the thing that I sacrifice the most is is my musical artistry. And um, I've been I actually spoke to my husband about that the other day. I'm like, I have to I have to get back to it because it's just. We have a freaking studio at home, and I haven't recorded anything. Because when I get home, I'm doing stuff.
0: So when, do you, when is that feeling like you know you need that outlet?
1: Well, teachers are human, too, you know, okay. Right? We have issues. We get sad. You know, I notice when I am in a darker place mentally, um, it's because I need to do that. I need to breathe. I need to sing. And... I was recently in that place, and I picked up my book and started writing. And it's, you know, when you're an artist, whether it's with your hands, with your voice, you have to get it out, okay? You can't, and if if you keep it in, it's like, it's smothering you, because you have to get it out. So I think when I get to a dark place, I know, uh uh-uh, nope, I gotta get it out. You could probably relate. Uh (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: I think there's just this time, also in any kind of artistry like that, that is for you. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a quote by my favorite artist, Mm -hmm. uh, Philip Guston, who I was telling this to Theo the other day, um, his quote was that in your head, when you're in the studio, and you're working on your stuff, In your head is everybody that uh, told you advice or Mm -hmm. uh, your parents, your friends, your colleagues, your coaches. And then as you're in the studio, one by one, all those people leave. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, you leave. And that's when the art starts happening oh, that's is sick. when you kind of like well <laughs> yeah. it's about control yeah and all these people have control over your life mm-hmm. and even you you allow them to have mm-hmm. control over your mm-hmm. life and even you control <laughs> okay. what you're doing um, to a certain point and then when you kind of relinquish that control yeah that's when you can feel free mm-hmm. at some point and that freedom is what I miss from working in the studio more Yeah, yeah. and having to compromise that as a teacher. Yeah. It's tough.
1: Yeah, got to find that balance, bro. I
0: know. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough out here. So I got one more question for you, kind of going back to what you're talking about, the difference between your public school experience mm-hmm. and here. Mm-hmm. What is that?
1: Uh, Um, so when I first started in public school um, I was a essentially just a long term sub a teacher quit I took over his class but you know not too much stress because technically I was a sub so (laughs) okay but then I got my teaching certificate and this is what I discovered you can teach to pass that test don't teach anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. Just to pass that test. The end. Of, you're talking about the end of grade test. Uh, the or uh, end of
1: course test. End of course test. Yes, that's EOC. EOC. Okay. That's what you teach. What are you doing? Is that on the scope and sequence? Today is April 18th. You should be teaching this only this. Well, little Billy didn't get that. Well, little Billy needs to go to tutoring. <laughs> so you know. Oh wait, there's 35 people in your class. Well, you still need to teach all 35 of them the same way.
0: So what would you do for Billy? Would you have to see to it that he could tutor him basically after class? If Billy came to class. Okay. If
1: Billy came to tutoring. Because if Billy gets frustrated, Billy's not going to come to class. Right. Oh, wait. Knock, knock, knock. Who is this? Five kids from another class. Can you teach them too? Oh, wait. There's 50 kids in my class now with one teacher. Right. So I was that teacher. Everybody wanted to be in my class. Uh huh. And so they brought them all. I was a teacher where if uh, little Johnny got into a fight in the hallway, Coach Williams, because I was a coach, can you calm little Johnny down? <sighs> sure. Let me calm him down while teaching these other 30 kids. Oh, and 10 of them are special education students. So they have to be in right. the front of the class. Oh, wait, no, there's one in the back of the class. There's no way. Right. It's impossible to do what they wanted me to do. With the, uh, it was ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The public school system is... It is almost impossible to be able to properly do your job. And if you care about kids, it is it's so frustrating to you. Because you don't see the 15, 20 kids who get it. You see that one kid who didn't. And you want to help that child. But, oh, the bell rung. You don't have time to do that. And you know he can't stay after school because he has to go pick up his siblings. Because mom's still at work. I worked at an urban school. So I, it, was, it was so frustrating as a teacher. Oh, and then if they don't pass the test, it's not their fault. It's your fault.
2: Right. What?
1: <laughs> they once gave me an entire class of non-English speakers and told me to teach them. So how, what did you do? Learn Spanish. <laughs> That's a good tactic. I learned Spanish. They learned English. We learned together. Come to find out, these children were brilliant. They just mm. know what the heck I was saying. Okay, <laughs> you know, but the resources are slim to none. You have to figure out ways. Um, it's on the job training. They um, There's no support. This is what from the school that I was at. Um, and everything is your fault. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just frustrating.
0: And it seems like if you do well, yeah, and you have this magnetic kind of personality <laughs> that... Well, you yeah. <laughs>
2: know,
0: you have this personality that people gravitate towards mm-hmm. you. If you do well in that school setting, mm-hmm. you get more students. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. what are you talking about? Like, just yeah. five more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I loved my babies. I called them my babies. Loved
1: my children. There was always kids who were not in my class, in my class. <laughs> always. Every single period. And it was either they came or an administrator brought them. Okay. It's. You know, and so I never turned the kids away, never turned the kids away. I did express my frustration mm-hmm. to administration, didn't help, okay? <laughs> so it's almost like they used me for the way that I am. Um, but I never felt rewarded, I never felt appreciated. That's one of the things I love about fusion. is the first time in my career that I feel appreciated by my superiors, like, I I feel appreciated, and that's for for a career. That's that's a big thing. It's hard to go to work every day and you feel unappreciated. Yes, that is difficult. Yeah, and I did that for six years. Yep, and I dreaded going to work. And now I'm like, mm, 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 work time, yay! Okay, <laughs> and I'm not saying fusion is perfect, but it's not. No. But compared to where I was, this is perfection yes. to me. Every every workplace has issues. Yes, you know, but. The issues that I find here are nothing compared to public school. I can handle those. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, it seems like at a, when the school gets bigger, it's not like you need constant feedback. You just need somebody to validate your day <laughs> just, and to just say, oh, you taught today. Yeah. you know, or Just listen to. Yeah. Um, but the bigger it gets, sometimes the more people just don't have the time and energy to even check in on you. They don't care. It's almost no. like,
1: you got it. You're good. Yeah. No, I don't. There's like the kids in this room.
0: Like, only the squeaky wheels get oil. Yeah. You know? So, how did you survive those really tough days? Did you have some colleagues that you could Mm-mm, kind of talk to? Know. Was there family? Uh-uh. My kids. Your kids. My students.
1: It was almost like any time I was having a bad day, they just did something or they just... I treated those children like they were my own. Um, it's hard to explain um, when you have, um, to me, um, the ability to work with children is a gift. Everybody cannot do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that problem. Yeah everybody doesn't have the heart to do this you cannot be a teacher and you're the reason why your teacher is for money you can't okay please they don't pay us enough for that sorry fusion you know i mean it has to be for more than just money and those children they I, i remember um i had cancer um and I still would come to work, and people would be like, "Why are you here? Okay, you can barely walk." I'm like, "Yeah, I have no clue." Being around these kids makes me feel alive. You know? Yeah. It's it's like they just they brightened my day. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm throwing up in the trash can. Um, They're like, "You need some water?" You know? It's like, <laughs> you know, it's it's. I don't know how to describe it. It's just they make you feel alive, and they. It, it's you want to see them succeed it's almost like you as a teacher are successful if your babies succeed if one child just
0: right and it's not an EOC no grade.
1: not that because to me with this standardized test foolishness okay it it does not properly um it doesn't show the intelligence of a child but The stress of it makes the child feel that they're not intelligent. My daughter is brilliant. My daughter, Shania, she has failed the English EOC. I don't know how many times, not because she's not smart, but because she's so terrified. When she gets there, she has put everything her whole life into this one test and she can't, she can't. Put what she knows on there because she's so stressed out the whole time. I hate it. I absolutely hate it.
0: Yeah, it it doesn't really gauge anything. Right? How it's smart
1: they are. It doesn't.
0: A giant blanket that they try to throw over the whole system, the whole education system, to just me. to not deal with it. I also going back to a point that you're talking about a minute ago about teacher pay. <clears throat> I honestly like I get. Uh, upset with that mm-hmm. um, like of course teachers need to be making more money yes but that also feels like throwing money at a problem that nobody wants to figure out yeah money is a, one yeah. part of it yeah but a much bigger part of it is just fixing schools yeah like that You <laughs> yeah. don't just throw money at teachers yeah. fix it yeah like get yeah. <laughs> give them help totally agree
1: to me this um, is one-to-one if that could be implemented somehow into public schools i think that we would have much smarter kids, more graduates, more kids going to college yeah. um because you're teaching them the way that they need to learn. All children cannot learn the same.
2: Yeah.
1: It's yeah. it's it, it's common sense. <laughs> yeah. But our state and well our country has not quite figured that out
0: yet. Well it seems like the evolution of education it can't all be one-to-one, yeah. but there has to be something that people can take from yeah. models that are being developed yes. now yes. to public education. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing worth, is
1: take the stupid standardized testing out.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: They go through 12 years of school having to pass all these classes, then you still don't let them graduate until they pass these five tests. Are you kidding me?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's
2: foolishness.
0: <laughs> it feels like the education system and the political system have both been so dumbed down mm. and nobody's inspired to do anything. It's, it's so dumb. To, it's saying, and it's not, I'm not saying that the tests are dumb yeah. or they're covering dumb content. Okay. It's not actually gauging their intelligence. <laughs> At all. It's just saying, can you do this? Yeah. Um, and it's so low. Can you grab a line. I feel like yeah. the, the way they gear politics in this country is the same idea. And they're saying, like, you have these two options. Yeah. They Neither you believe in. I know.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just have to do it. And I think if we actually challenged, and people are lulled into a sleep yeah. by that. If you actually challenge people to say like what do you actually believe in let's have 10 different candidates and that requires more homework but I think people would actually engage with it a little bit more Mm -hmm. than the way that Uh, we do now lesser of two evils kind of thing yeah (laughs) So we're back with part two <laughs> with shomira williams and she wanted to talk to me today about raising millennial teenagers and you're gonna have to tell me about that because i don't have any <laughs> millennial teenagers um, but i'm ready to learn so what what's the what's the biggest challenge for you as a parent right now?
1: Um, the biggest challenge right now, <laughs> woo, <can> I, <laughs> um, is their will is so strong. They're strong-willed. They don't see the future, they see the now. What do I feel now? What do I want now? Not, how does now affect later? They don't know, What what is this later you speak of? No, it's I want this now. Yeah. And that is a challenge because we can, like I talked about my dad earlier, he sees later. And so that's what he taught me, see later. I tried <laughs> <laughs> to teach my children that they are not getting it. And so as a parent and as a teacher, I struggle with trying to help these babies to see what you do now affects everything. Some of us, including myself, Still trying to make up for mistakes I made in 19, okay? Right? You know, geez, Louise, don't be me, right? <laughs> You know, and they can't see that. Yeah. They can't see. In their eyes, I'm not you, mom. No, but you're doing exactly what I was doing. I see what's going to happen. You see butterflies. I see devil boy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, come on. He's, you know, but they, they can't. They don't see future.
0: Right. Yeah. I see that um, as a teacher here so mm-hmm. often when we have to be mentors. Sometimes students come in, they're um, not in a place to learn, and yeah. we spend a little time mentoring them yes. through that kind of thing. Yes. We're not therapists. Yeah, uh, but yeah, of we We just level with them, you know, listen and yeah. offer what we can. But I run into that so many times where somebody is, a student is so upset about something that is happening now and wants to take drastic moves to move away to go to a different school. Yeah. Because of something that is going to be resolved anyway yeah. in two weeks yes. or something, you know?
1: It's always an emo. They, that's good. Mm. They react on their emotions. Mm-hmm. Whatever I feel is what I will do. Not even considering the fact that that's not the smartest thing to do. You cannot react in every situation on what you're feeling now. Emotions are, they need to be controlled. And when they're not controlled, you're not controlled. There's chaos. And so what they're doing is they create chaos in their own lives by following their feelings And then at the end, when everything is all in disarray, they come to you, mommy, will you fix this? Yeah. And so you gotta put it back together again.
0: Well, that's one, that's, I love that you mentioned that. That's one of the things that you forget as you become an adult, Mm -hmm. is that feeling of being a teenager and that you are, that your feelings are in control of you. You Mm -hmm. feel like when, Somebody breaks up with you. It's the end of the yep, world.
1: You're going air- to... Like, that's <laughs> like, it. Uh, Pack just, it in. Uh,
0: This life's done. <laughs> Better luck next time. The feeling is that you're just... They're the master of your future. Uh, and feelings... You yeah. know, when you feel them, that's what you are now. Yeah. Um, but as you get older, you can separate that mm-hmm. and... Thank goodness. Oh (laughs) Oh my gosh. You could not pay me to be less than twenty-five again Mm -mm. and relive the Mm -mm. the the kind of craziness of the hormones, you know, going through your body. There's no control
1: over anything. You just everything was about, you know, how you feel. And to me it's worse with these kids than it was for us. You know, I'm a little bit older than you, not much, but a little bit. So, I grew up in, you know, I graduated from high school in 97. So, that was, were you born yet? No? Okay. I was born.
0: I was born.
1: So, you know, that's when I graduated. It was, I, I made the stupidest mistake ever. I was a teenage parent. I had my daughter when I was 19. But I was the kid who um, was highly my grades were immaculate. It is what it is. Because I was very, I pressured myself. My parents never pressured me to make good grades. It was me. I was like, 89, what is this? Okay. Bees. I didn't make bees. And so any college that I applied to, I got in. But my emotions is what kept me there. Because yeah. I had a baby. And so I want my baby to be raised with two parents like my parents. Mm-hmm. And I made an emotional decision that could have completely ruined my life. And I remember those times and I look back now and I'm like, boy, you were stupid, (laughs) you know? And then I look and I see my own children. Uh, My children are 21, 18 and 17, you know? I'm only 25, but.
2: Of course. Yeah,
1: (laughs) But, you know, I see them making these same mistakes, but like they're, it's me multiplied exponentially, you know, it's like whoa, you're stupid-er, okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> they don't see it. And when I think back, and my dad said this to me, my dad is a big part of my life, if you haven't mm-hmm. heard, realize uh-huh. that now. My dad said to me, your children will always be you worse. I was like, sweet Jesus.
0: So he felt the same way. Yes. When you were growing up.
1: But I didn't know that until
0: I had kids. This is me, but worse. Yeah.
1: I remember (laughs) calling him. I was like, dad, you know, she's doing blah, 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 blah. Where did she learn this from? He said, are you kidding me? I said, what do you mean? He was like, that's you. I was like, wait. Oh, my God. (laughs) I didn't realize it's me, but worse. That's what your children are.
0: Hmm. What kind of similarities... Do you notice in your kids education as in yours? Are they do they have the same voice saying like eighty nine? What is that? Or is it different? Is it does it totally like flip? Different.
1: Totally different. My children are, <laughs> see, my oldest was like that. My oldest was, um, she graduated top 10% of her class, any school in Texas. She got into, she got scholarships, um, book smart all the way. Emotionally, she's home right uh-huh. now. And so she went from being like me in the sense of good, making good grades to not even want to go to college anymore because it's just not her thing.
2: What? Okay.
1: <laughs> My second daughter, uh, she kind of, uh, she's brilliant, but lazy. Okay. She's Louise. And so she wants to do it at her own pace. Right. Which is me as an adult in college. Right. You know, yeah, I'll make the grades, but it, it took me 12 years to graduate from college kind of thing. Um, and, you know, My other daughter, same thing as my oldest. I don't want to go to college. I want to go to trade school, which is fine with me. College is not for everybody, but they are in the sense of what the grade is. They are not like I was, you know, they're okay with just mediocre and that I don't understand that. Uh I don't understand that.
0: So how do you how do you set and manage expectation for your children?
1: it's almost, I can't, I have, I've learned to stop expecting what I expected of myself at that age. What I expected of myself was straight A's, period. You don't make B, Shamir. What is that? Okay. That's how, that's what I expect. My parents did not demand that from me. I demanded that from me. My children are, well, I passed. What? (laughs) So what I've started doing is, uh, you know, my oldest is grown, she's 21, so that doesn't really apply. My second one is grown, so it's with the younger three. Um, With Shania, I just want her to graduate. (laughs) And with my younger two, it's almost like I'm having to start over in a sense. Okay, well this didn't work with their older siblings, so let me try this. So I noticed that there's things that they love. My um, my girl, she is uh, a competitive cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And they love their phones. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah.
0: So, I've seen I've seen teenagers with telephones.
1: Yeah, thank, recently. What are those <laughs> things? <laughs> when I was a teenager, if you had a phone, there was a backpack that went with it. Right. <laughs> 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 I've seen those. <laughs> or the flip with the lower one. Uh huh. Hold extend on. Yeah. Just thing. a second. Let me get into a better place. <laughs> you know? So, um, you're in the age of technology, you know. So, if your grades are not where they should be, your technology goes away. Right. I'm not going to take your phone. I'm going to take your charger. Oh. So slowly it does. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Thanks.
0: Dear God, I'm on 1%. <laughs>
1: so with them, I have to, I'm explaining to them um, the importance of their grades, not for now. I'm trying to teach them about future. Okay. So if you ask my two 11-year-olds, what do you want to do when you graduate from high school? They can tell you. This is what I want to do. Okay, well, how do you get there? That's what I'm trying to do step by step, you know, trying to these emotions. Okay, now we don't get upset because we didn't do that problem right. We try again, you know, so I've had I've learned from my older daughters what not to do in a sense. And that's kind of when you have multiple children, that's kind of how you do it. You always mess up with that first one. <laughs> that's the guinea pig. That's the, you know, <laughs> oops, okay. Yeah. You know, and then the, you know, and then the rest kind of fall in where they fall in. And you learn things from each child. But the thing is, the hardest thing about being a parent to millennials is none of them are the same.
0: <sighs> okay. What do, you, what do you mean
1: by that? None of them are the same. Everybody feels a different way about a different thing. Case in point, when I was ill, every one of my children dealt with it in a different way. My oldest suppressed and then would have outbursts of emotion. Walking down the hallway, she burst into tears. "Why are you crying? Cuz my mom's sick." "Well, why now?"
0: Okay. How old was she? She was
1: a senior in high school. Okay. So it was a rough year. Yeah, for
0: that week. is. You're already transitioning yeah. yes. so much.
1: So her fear was that I would die before she graduated.
0: Yeah.
1: That was rough. That's big. Um, my the second daughter was a freshman in high school, which is a very volatile time because you don't, you're at that. Am I a kid? Am I almost grown? Mm-hmm. What am I? So she acted out in a different way. She was extremely rebellious and it was her way of dealing. So I had to figure out a way to deal with both of their emotions where they were. It was very difficult. Then the one under that, she acted out as well, but in a different way. She became almost like my caretaker. It was like, who is this kid?
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, because that was a child that would act out. She did not. She would get home from school, drop her backpack off in her room, come in. Mommy, do you need anything? How are you feeling? Let me fluff your pillows. Let me help you get to the bathroom. I didn't even know who that was because she was (laughs) never like that. But I learned something about her. I guess in in instances of crises in families with millennials, you kind of learn how they deal with conflict, how they deal with when things aren't perfect. And that's when I realized that my oldest two daughters have no clue how to cope. (laughs) No clue. But the one we thought didn't know how to cope knows how to cope. Right. It's crazy.
0: That's a flip of what you would expect. Exactly. It was a total flip. Uh, Sometimes there's like expectation of this person knows, you know, Mm -hmm. knows something or you expect them to cope in a certain way sometimes the younger kids they cope much when there's <laughs> all this attention other other places can have the time and energy to be like oh i gotta do yeah. this right now yeah uh, while nobody's looking right. <laughs> going back to something you were saying a minute ago i think as a it sounds like what you're saying as a parent And it's similar to being a teacher where Mm -hmm. you have to step outside of your own way of thinking Mm -hmm. and say, of course, everybody expects to make A's or everybody wants to make A's. That's what I did. That was my experience. And that's what you kind of go from. And when it doesn't happen, that's when you have to step back and say, oh, that's not everybody's thing. And you realize something about yourself. Yeah. And you kind of can adapt as a teacher or mm-hmm. as a parent mm-hmm. to say, "All right, this kid is not thinking <laughs> like I am." Obviously, yeah, yeah. But That's I think parenting.
1: I think parenting millennials helps me to teach millennials. Um, how?
0: How is that?
1: I think that, and, and because I've parented so many. <laughs> What it taught me is all children are not the same. They're gonna, like you said, um, this kid might be ecstatic about an 83, but this kid wants to run into traffic with an 83. (laughs) You know, it's like you have to learn what this child is capable, not really capable of, but what is acceptable for this child. Like, this is my goal. You have to find out what their goals are and help them reach those goals, not your goals, mm-hmm. their goals. But now you can help them to achieve higher goals, but you have to. It's its a thin line between um, helping them to want to achieve higher goals and wanting them to achieve your goals. Right. And I think that sometimes as teachers, that's where we fail our students is that we want them to achieve a goal that we've created for them. But what if that's not what they want? Like, we want them to go to college, but they don't want to. They want to go to right. welding school.
0: Right. You know? I struggle with that. Yeah. With those students that you really connect with too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to set a boundary between your own idea of what they should do. Yeah. and Because what they it's want so do. clouded yeah. by you. Mm-hmm. and your story um, that you got to step back and say you know you're going to figure it out yeah. <laughs> you're going to you're going to be just fine yeah you lose sight of the fact that kids are going to grow mm-hmm. and, change, and change and yeah you forget you that's know.
1: what you did yeah we just did it you know <laughs> not so <laughs> we weren't as i guess open i don't know if that's the proper word to say about our stupidity that's at that (laughs) we it's like okay we would have these just ridiculous ideas and you know our parents knew well this isn't gonna work okay I remember when I I got married at 20 stupid just stupid I remember my grandmother when I got divorced my grandmother said well I knew you were gonna get divorced I was just waiting on you to open your eyes I was like, "Well, oh why did you gosh. tell me when I walked down the aisle?" You know, but she—I wouldn't have listened. Wouldn't have listened. Yeah. And it was either lose my granddaughter or let her do what she wants and just be there for her when she needs me. And that's what I've learned from. We can learn. To me, our generation can learn something from the baby boomers, the ones before us. Well, baby one was for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my grandmother, she taught me some things. And I know that's why my dad is like he is. Um, it's almost like, hey, they'll be fine. And I'm like, but she's what I'm doing. And just let them be uh-huh. and they'll come back. Yeah. That's hard.
0: Yeah. there There's a lot of wisdom in older generations. Oh, yes. And especially like I think back to my grandparents, Like my grandpa, who like fought in World War II Mm -hmm. and all this stuff, was like, I can't imagine dealing with half the stuff that they lived through. Exactly. Yes. um, Their idea, yeah, you take it for granted when you're like in your own little world. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing that that student is doing that we're talking about is reacting emotionally. Yeah. And I don't know. I just I think about. Grandparents mm-hmm. and uh, the way they would, you would uh, hang out with them and, yeah. you know, grandma, being around yeah. her and, like, watching um, her cook in yeah. particular. Like, yeah. you don't follow a recipe. You yeah. do it by yeah. taste and feel. Yeah. And it's going to turn out to be just fine. Yeah. Um, but it's way more about, like, your feeling yeah. and your, like, instinct yeah. than we think it is. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Shamira Williams, for coming into the art studio today and talking to me. Um, You're an awesome teacher. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) The kids obviously love you because your schedule is packed right now.
2: (laughs) Yes, it
1: is. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bruckton. Do
0: you have things that you want to plug? Do you have anything like Um, that? On my Instagram, it
1: is at Shamira Cherie. That's S H A M I R A S H A R E E. That's my artist page. You can, you know, DM me if you want, if you have any questions. Also on Facebook, you can't be my Facebook friend because I have 5,000 already, <laughs> but you can always send me a message and it's at Shmyra S Williams on Facebook.
0: That's awesome. You can follow Summer League at Summer League HTX on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks for joining us this week. We'll be back next week with another teacher. I'll see you then.
2: Yay.